Treating seed this spring? AGI Storm FX brings you the ultimate innovation in seed treating for your modern-day farming operation, offering you speed, accuracy, and flexibility. With a simplified design, gentle handling, and precise performance, you can choose to pre-treat or treat your seed just in time. This season, choose the AGI Storm FX Seed Treater to keep you on schedule and ahead of the curve. Visit aggrowth.com for more information or to find your nearest dealer. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong, but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch, or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women, and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Kelly Worthington. Kelly and her husband, John, bought their farm in the fall of 2010, just east of Carstairs, Alberta. They started out with raising grass-fed Galloway beef when their customers started to ask if they did pork. It was never an option for them as they did not enjoy the mess that pigs typically made with rooting, as well as they were hard to contain in the area. In 2015, they found out about a new breed of swine that had arrived in Canada, Kunikuni pigs. They were well known for their gentle demeanor and easy to contain. They also were best for not rooting. Kelly and John knew instantly that this was the pig breed that would work for their grass-fed operation. Before we get to Kelly's interview, let's go over this week's listener review. This week's review comes from Marissa of Spring Hill via Apple Podcast, and it is titled, Like a Gathering of Friends. The Rural Woman Podcast is such a wonderful podcast. Caitlin is warm and friendly and on a mission to tell the stories of rural women. Well, you are dang right, Marissa. I am on the mission of sharing the stories of rural women, just like Kelly and all of the other amazing women that I have had the privilege of interviewing and sharing their stories. So thank you so much for that kind rating and review over on Apple and my friends. I'm running out of reviews to read on the show. So if you would be so kind to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast through, I would kindly appreciate it and will share your kind words on an upcoming episode. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Kelly. Kelly. 
Kelly, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. I am very excited to get to know you better today and to share your story with my audience. Well, thank you for having us or me. (laughs) It's us. It's a family affair over there and we're going to get into that, but I most specifically want to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) For my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Kelly, introduce yourself and tell us how you got your start in agriculture. My name is Kelly Worthington. And I am co-owner of Whispering Wind Farms. We are located just north of Calgary, Alberta. We started our farm as a grass-fed Galloway beef operation. And then just over five years ago, we decided to get into Kunikuni pasture pork. So now our program is based mainly on the Kunikuni pasture pork and our Galloway grass-fed beef. Both of which I am excited to talk about because those are both breeds in Alberta that are relatively not produced in larger scales. And I've talked to some Cooney Cooney and Galloway people before, so I'm sure they'll be happy to hear your story too. But uh, you're relatively new to farming. So you got into farming back in 2010. What made you and your husband decide that this was going to be the life for you? I was always into horses and I showed quite a few years. I started off in Arabians and then American Saddlebreds. I've been showing horses since I was 16 and I boarded and everything. And I met John and we were like, well, let's buy an acreage. So we went and bought a little farm just east of Carstairs. And it was funny because I did 4-H when I was young and I hated cows. Like hated them because they crapped everywhere. And so I was like, no, not for me. And so John was like, let's get some feeders. I'm like, no, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So we went to the auction because we were new. We didn't know, you know, we went and bought six steers. We bought like some tans and some reds and got them home. I think within three days, both of like three of them had pneumonia. So that was our first introduction. So call your vet, you know, the vet came and they got all treated. And so we started off with that and then we're like, okay, well, we were doing the grain and we're like doing the numbers. We're like, well, this is pretty expensive. Like, you know, you really have to throw the grain to them. So then we started researching and thinking, you know, what kind of breeds we wanted to do. And we found Galloway's. So at that time, there was some pretty good Galloway bull sales up by Innisfail. So we went up there, kind of looked around. That was our first time. Talked to a couple breeders. And then Steve Schreer was the big one. He's up by Penhold area. So we talked to him quite a bit. There was a couple ones we liked. Of course, they went out of our price range. Avid, he was a big red Angus breeder and had gotten into Galloway's Jim King. So we asked him, we, you know, we were looking. So he's like, yeah, I've, I can sell you a bred cow and a couple heifer calves. And we're like, okay, great. So that's how we started. So we started off with one cow with her calf and then three heifers at that time. And so we started off that and we just kept growing. We bought some commercial crosses and then we bought some Angus cows. (laughs) And then before we knew it, about probably about two years ago, we were up to 40 cow calf pairs. That is quite a jump for somebody who didn't really like cows all that much. (laughs) And you know what? Honestly, I love the Galloways. Like you, you know, everybody will say they have their cow personalities, but when you work at the Galloways, they're just pretty easy going. Like there's, they don't really put up much of a fight. They're very food motivated. Like they're just 
they don't really, I've never had a Galloway jump a fence yet. We've had Angus. <laughs> the first thing they can do is if they think they need to jump a fence, they're going to jump a fence. So we started off and we love the purebred Galloways for their meat and the marbling. They are a double coated breed, kind of like Highlands. So they will, instead of putting on that back fat that most of your other breeds do, their meat actually internally marbles. So it's very tender and juicy. University of Guelph did a study years ago on various breeds and they were all grain fed. And the omega-6 and omega-3 on a Galloway was as healthy as eating salmon and chicken. So the breed itself definitely has that higher ability, just the way that they process their fat. So that's how we started. And then we prefer when we're doing our grass-fed beef, you know, 18 to 24 months is about the average for finishing, true finishing grass-fed beef. Purebred Galloways are right around that 24 months. You can't really get them too, too much sooner. But if we add a little bit of Angus in there and we cross, you know, like either half Galloway, half Angus or three-quarter Galloway, quarter Angus, we can usually get our steers to finish within 18 months and usually over 700 pounds hanging weight. And that makes a real difference at the end of the day, right? When it's, when you look down to dollars and cents of those extra months. Yeah. And even that pound, like, you know, if you do the math on a 500 pound carcass versus a 700 pound carcass, your kill fee is the same. So, you know, for us running our numbers in our business is, you know, if we can get close to that 700 pound hanging weight, that's where our most profit lies in those animals. And because you got to feed them for, you know, a longer, we, you know, we like to have here, you know, usually early mid-March and that way those ones that cap early, usually they finish by the next late fall. So we don't have to winter them for two winters. If we calve in May and June, usually we always have to carry them for two winters. You're paying, you know, forage and all that adds up. <laughs> yes, it sure does. Well, and especially in a year like we are experiencing now from the drought of 2021 carrying forward to 2022, the astronomical feed prices and just the feed availability itself is is can be really stressful and very expensive. Yeah. So, and because we are a forage, we can't do grain. Like we are grass fed, so they have to be a forage. So, you know, we do, you know, if we can do it, we get pretty good, decent hay. And then if we have like a grass fed, we'll supplement with like second cut alfalfa. We'll throw stuff over the fence just to give them that extra protein, especially the calves. Yes. And those seem to be like the hottest bales. Everybody really likes to eat those ones around here anyways. <laughs> if you get a high protein hay, you can do like some, some will do like straw one day. And then like a higher alfalfa the next day. So it, it's actually pretty much if if you're paying $250, $300 a ton for hay, but then you can supplement it with straw, it's cheaper. Then so that's kind of how it, but yeah, no, they're they're in demand. We did that two years ago. We had to do the, I think it was two years or three years, we did, you know, older straw with second cut hay. And it worked good, but I think we probably like our animals a little bit too much because then we feel guilty. So that they get like, but then you don't even want to you don't even want to look at the numbers because unfortunately, like with the cows, and this is kind of why, you know, we we've been up to forty cow calf pairs, and then last year we sold about fifteen cow calf pairs because we were planning on moving, 
we knew that like we just had a feeling that we were going to be in a drought we had a 130 acre pasture that was sold so we knew you know we could be in trouble so Thankfully, we sold 15 cow-calf pairs. And, you know, even I I love the cows. And, you know, we've talked about it a couple of times, like, do we just sell them? Because it's pretty hard to make any profit with cows, unfortunately, unless you're running a har- large, large scale. There's not a ton of profit in it. But with our pigs, you know, if you play the numbers and you work the numbers, you know, you're looking at about 400 pounds profit per calf. With our pigs and with our pasture park on our halves and holes, we average about 200 to 250 profit per piglet. So that's one piglet. A sow can have, you know, six to 10 piglets and she can have two litters a year and they're a fraction to feed. So we kind of decided, you know, we'll reduce our cattle herd for now for a little bit until we got set up because we just bought our new property and, you know, work on growing our Cooney Cooney herd a little bit more for it's a little bit easier to feed at the moment even with high grain prices that's that's the nice thing with this breed is with coonies because they only eat you know 1.7 two pounds dry matter day their feed costs are way lower than your other breeds and you know most breeds you know you're about six pounds per day for grain so these guys are a fraction but even keeping them to process close to you know that 12 to 14 months it still costs us way less money to feed them than to feed other breeds like Berkshires and things like that. Other heritage breeds. All the other heritage ones. Yeah. With the Galloways, we had kind of been chatting before we hit record here is because of the double coat, these are cattle that you don't often see in a setting like a feedlot. Tell us more about that. And I just find it interesting because I myself live in an area that is very heavily populated with feedlots and I don't get to see Galloways very much or at all. So tell me about that and why that is. So because Galloways have a double coat, feedlots don't like them because of the tag that gets on their coat. So that's like the dirt, the manure that gets all stuck to their hair. So when they take the animals to the packers, the packers dock them. So they lose money. So if you've got to take Galloway calves or even Highlands, like if you take them to the auction, you get dinged like quite significantly, about half, you know, it could be potentially half the cost of what your other breeds are because they're going to get dinged in the end. So if you're looking at doing grass-fed beef and you really want a great animal, the Galloways are perfect for it. If you're looking to sell your calves at the auction, it could come and hurt you. So they're really a great animal for a direct market and not auction. Well, it even sounds with their meat quality and the marbling, it sounds like it's more of a specialty meat anyways. That would be much more reasonable to do at a direct market versus selling to whoever at a packer and that kind of thing. So Yeah. And we've talked to, we've heard like, you know, they like the animals and they like that they finish, but yeah, they will, they'll, they'll nail you on that coat so even like you know like we find even with the calves or even the cows in the summer as soon as like they slick out they're really good about slicking out as soon as the sun hours start changing you can almost see them hair up instantly like they get that coat growing pretty quick so there's if you're going to send calves to auction you got to send them sooner than later because by december they're pretty shaggy looking yeah but they're so cute those oreo cookie cows (laughs) So, and there is different breeds. Like, so you've got 
the the white Galloways, you've got belted Galloways, and you have red and like solids. So black, red, and done are classified in the solid herd book. We run reds and blacks. So and they're just a little bit like anything when a breed gets a little novelty. The belted Galloways kind of was selected more for their color and not their production. So we prefer to stick with the reds and the blacks. A little bit better growth rate. For sure. So let's talk about these Cooney Cooney pigs. I hear so much about this breed of pig and it's relatively newer in our area, but I have spoken with quite a few people who do have these and I myself think I need some Cooney Cooney pigs, but I have not yet convinced my husband that I need these, but tell us more about this breed and what it was specifically that interested you in bringing this onto your farm. So when we first, when I first saw them, so this is kind of a funny story and probably most women will get a kick out of this. So I, like, this was back probably in 2013, probably a little bit sooner, I saw one show up on Dr. Pole. And I was like, Don and I were watching and I'm like, I want that. He's like, no. And I'm like, no, no, I want that. He's like, no. And I'm like, all right. And I, because they weren't in Canada. Like it was, they weren't in Canada. And at that time, like we were starting, we were probably in our second year of grass-fed beef and we had people asking, do you do pork? And we're like, no, no, we're not looking for pigs that root up our pastures and they're dirty. It's not dirty, but they're just, they root and they mud and they mix all their materials all together. It just, it has a different smell for sure. So I let that go. And then I was always like, kind of avid little Kijiji shopper. And I found there was a breeder in BC and she had had her first herd. This was like pretty much the first imports that had come into Canada. So I was like, I contacted her right away, put a deposit down without telling the husband that I was going to get these pigs. And so I told him, he's like, he's like, fine, whatever, start with a pair. And I'm like, well, why would you start with one pair when you should get two pairs? Because if you want to sell breeding animals, then you can sell pairs. He was still like, no. So I think Amelia, who came from Ivanley Farms in Ontario, I didn't even tell him she was coming until she was on the flight. So, but we were looking for pigs that didn't root, that could go behind our cattle without rooting up our pastures. And even then, like, if you look at reseeding pastures, and this is even for the drought, you're, you know, you're talking about hundred bucks an acre for seed alone. So it's not cheap just to reseed your pastures and to do that. So we wanted a breed that would graze along our cattle. They wouldn't test our fencing. You know, we didn't need Fort Knox to keep them in, but also that they were a breed that was more docile. They weren't something that, you know, it was going to be too aggressive and they're not, but I do say like being mature, especially with the boars, they are mature breeding animals. So, you know, we always have respect for them that way like we never say you know with kids people are like oh well i want something that's safe for our kids like they are safe but we recommend supervision with children just it's a pick it is a pick like that's the big thing is even though they're you know low on grain and that was another key factor is they fit well with our grass-fed beef because pigs in general they have to have grain they need the amino acids they need that so even though you still need a balance of some sort to get that into their system because they're not a ruminant animal. So they, they need that grain feed compared to your other breeds was, you know, average two pounds per day 
versus six pounds. The key thing with the breed is there are slowly growing heritage breeds. So they require, you know, to finish for pork production, you're looking at 12 to 14 months is usually about our average. I mean, a few of our small non-growing ones will be longer, but for the majority of our herd, we're looking for that 12 to 14 months for finishing. So that's why we picked them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I just, my thing that drew me in immediately was very similar to yours is they're a non-rooting pig. Because when I think of pigs and think of what they do, and while the rooting is good for some areas and it needs to be done for other areas for, you know, if you are trying to have the grass grow after or not wanting to reseed, then, you know, having that mess to go back and clean up after them can be quite a challenge and quite an expense for your business. So you have grown quite significantly since you got your first couple pairs there. (laughs) tell us about your production now and what that looks like so we are currently at running just over 200 coney conies and that includes our breeding stock and our pork stock and right now our pork program is growing like we currently have our pork with yyc growers farm table and carstairs carries our salamis bacon our dry cured bacon and then we also have some of our products at local lane the big thing, what we struggle, and we also do halves and sides and individual sales as well. The thing that we're struggling is we can't keep them, and this is not anything negative, we can't keep it in stock. So even with 200 head, we need to grow and we want to grow more into going to restaurants and that, but you have to have the supply to provide that. It's kind of hard to go to somebody and say, oh, well, do you want to try this? I'm like, yeah, sorry, you got to wait six months for one. So we decided at, it was probably October last year that, okay, we've outgrown our 20 acres. Like we, we rent pasture, you know, our cattle would go up for pasture to other places and our coonies did good at home for all summer. Like even with that many with rotational grazing, we never ran out of pasture for them. So we needed something we needed to expand. So we found a property and we want to stay local. Because we built this relationship with with Calgary people and Red Deer people. We didn't want to go up towards Edmonton or John even tried to convince me at one point to move to Manitoba. <laughs> but so we found this farm. It was west of Didsbury and it's 157 acres, lots of barns, lots of areas. So we're looking to expand and yeah, like, so we're pretty excited that we get a branch out and start talking to more people and promoting the breed for pork. Yeah, for sure. Well, and like you said, it's a really great problem to have that uh, you can't keep it in stock. (laughs) No, but yeah, it would be like, you'd get, you'd get everything in stock. Like you'd get like, like all your sausages and then YYC growers and send us an order and you're like, and it's all gone. (laughs) There they go. You're like, okay, we need to do something. Yeah, for sure. So you've recently moved to this new location. Tell us more about the farm and what you guys are hoping to accomplish in your new acreage. So this place, so we're 157 acres here. So we want to just promote more pasture pork. We do a lot of regenerative pastures and like we do a lot of seeding to like your brassicas and turnips and peas. So we started playing with that for the last two years 
And even last year in the drought, like we did a brassica blend. We use union forage in Calgary and the pigs loved it. One thing we found out though, is because it's really high in protein, you're like our gilts that are close to finishing that are, you know, 10 months, they put on fat way too quick. <laughs> so it's, you know, but we're so excited to expand and start doing more little plots and different grazing areas for them and try to promote more of that finishing towards forage base alone. And then, you know, cause you, I think at that stage, when your animal's old enough, you can cut the grain back a little bit for, you know, for finishing. Yeah. And I just think it's super interesting, all of the cool things that you can do with different forages and how they'll grow, especially in our climate, which is desert-like and just holding that moisture and the nutrients and all of those things in the soil and that going directly into your animal. Yeah. And I know that like, it was funny, like our previous place had so many trees. It was gorgeous. Not one fruit tree was ever planted, but there were so many trees planted. There was nowhere to even put apple trees or anything. So this new property, there's a strip right straight up. When you first drive in, I want to plant like apple trees and plum trees. I even found there's like hazelnuts that will grow here. <laughs> so I really, I want to do like a whole orchard and then our finishing pigs be able to push them in there. So, you know, you can have fruit and not finished pork in Alberta, which is rare because that stuff doesn't really exist here because we don't really have that climate. Right. Well, that to me just sounds like extra bougie and that will sound like be even better on your charcuterie board. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's my goal. I think John just shakes his head at me, but, but yeah, he's, he's accepted. I'm like, I want to plant this and this and this. <laughs> All of the things. Yeah. No, my poor husband experiences the honey-do list on the farm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tell me about your direct marketing for your finished product. So you've talked about YYC growers and some other places. How have you found over, let's say the last two plus years in your customer base that is looking for direct marketing after the year of 2020 that we had? So I think, you know, like the direct marketing one is it's kind of like you got to start right from the beginning, like have that social media platform that kind of shows your product, shows your animals. Like we're big into taking professional pictures and just showing your meat, like showing it. So it promotes it and looks good. And then, so as we've grown and especially with COVID more and more people are looking to go towards buying from the farmer or, you know, farm to table, as we call, because they want to know where their food's coming from. The one thing we did find with the grass-fed beef is we really noticed when COVID hit and the recession, it was a lot harder for people to go ahead and buy a quarter for $900 or even a half or, you know, about $1,800. While a pig, especially with the coonies, they are a smaller breed. They don't get as big as your typical other breeds. So, you know, they usually finish off around 200 pounds. Full size, they can be anywhere from 250 to about 400 pounds. That's up for the males. So they're a smaller breed pig. So when you process, it's not as big of an expense for the pork. It's easier for a family to buy a side of pork or a whole hog 
than buying a whole cow, which is usually not in a lot of people's budget. So we found that the pigs itself was a little bit easier sale at this stage of game where COVID and people, you know, people's income are a little bit, you know, everybody's a little stressed and, you know, where the next paycheck or what's going to happen. So, yeah, so we kind of really found that the pigs really took off. And I think just they're a smaller body. Yeah. Well, for meat production, I'm, you know, these pigs really took off. But also, I think for the acreage people, these pigs have really taken off as kind of their farm pets as well. I've seen a lot of them advertised not for meat and they are more of your acreage pet and they can go and clean up the brush and clean up your yard. So that's also obviously a market that can be taken advantage of. Yeah. And there's a lot of places in orchards that will use them because they don't damage the trees. So they'll use them in the orchards for the fallen fruit and not have to worry about them damaging the trees. And then they get their bougie charcuterie pork <laughs> afterwards too. <laughs> I think that could be marketed and I will not take any credit for it. <laughs> you can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman Podcast Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the Rural Woman Podcast. So we talk about all of the wonderful things about this breed of pig. Can you tell me any of the challenges that you face with this specific breed of Cooney Cooney pigs? I think the biggest challenge that there's definitely two genetics of this breed. Like there's the breeders that have concentrated for years on pasture pork and there's breeders that maybe haven't concentrated as much towards pasture pork, but like you said, more towards the pet stock. So if a producer is looking to go and they want to buy pork for their family, it's just really look for a breeder that has similar goals as you or what you want to do. Because like we promote 200 pounds at 12 months, like that is our ultimate goal. That's where our dollars, when you run your, your numbers, that's where the most profit is. Nobody wants to keep a pig for 24 months to process because there's no money in it. When, if you actually run your numbers, you can't calculate feed, you know, the, you, the spaces it takes up. If you have to keep a pig for 18, 24 months, you're losing money. So that's the biggest challenge is really promoting the difference between pasture pork, kunikunis, and maybe potentially pet stock. And we first started, I started off with a female and she gave us a mixed litter. Like we had a couple big ones, a couple little ones. So I sat down and we ran the numbers and the one we processed a 13 month old from our pasture pork genetics. He hung out at 170 pounds hanging. And then I processed this other one. It was 21 months old. I finally gave up 
This was in the beginning. I'm like, is it going to grow? Is it not? So I finally gave up. And by the time I ran the numbers, my 170 pound hanging carcass made me $230 more. So that's, that's one animal. But if you put that over a litter of six, that's no little, you know, couple dollars. That's a pretty big change in your, your farm or what pays your feed. Even if you're not doing it to sell, you still have to calculate your time, your, you know, all that has to come into play. So that's the biggest challenge I think we find with this breed is, you know, promoting it for the pasture pork. And us as a breeder, we were the first breeder established in Alberta. And we're currently the second largest breeder in Canada with this breed. The other, the other largest breeder is our mentor, Ivan Lee in Trenton, Ontario, and is really building that mentorship. So if we have people that are, you know, they're, they even want to just buy a couple pigs for their property, you know, feeders or breeding stock to raise their own. It's just being there for them to answer questions. And that, you know, that could be a real struggle for people if they don't, they don't, they may not have the best vet or a vet that may not know a lot about pigs. They have that ability to contact me and be like, Hey, this is going on. What should I do? And then, you know, hopefully I can help them. And if I can't help them, I usually go to Tammy and say, Hey, <laughs> this is going on. Help. So. So it's kind of building that family. Yes. I just think the mentorship around this breed of animals from what I can even see from the women that I've talked to, as well as just what I see online when people own these pigs, it feels like there's like an inside network of if you have one of these pigs, then you're in the club. And it seems like people are really open to talking about the breed and promoting this breed, not only for a, a farm pet, but also for the qualities of it and what it's able to do and the benefits it's able to provide for your farm. Oh, for sure. For sure. And the one thing too, is like, we, I kind of laugh about this when people come and, you know, I can, if we're, you know, we load to process because we, everything has to be government inspected. So we have to take our animals to get, you know, to a government inspected butcher. John and I can handle a 200 pig to load up. If a 600 pound, 400 pound pig, whatever, it doesn't want to go in the trailer. There's not much you can do. You're not going to win that battle. Like, you know, like, so they're easier to handle. We currently have 10 mature boars that live together. And that's, yeah, that's very rare in any pig breed that they can all get along. The ability to handle them that close and, and, you know, be conscious, but not worry about extreme danger is a benefit for our our farm for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like you had mentioned before, people looking for an animal that is good with kids, like you said, always the air of caution of being around smaller people and that kind of thing, you know, animals have their animal instincts and for whatever reason, they might not like little people around them. And that's, you know, I, I find it when I'm out with the goats. And if I have kids around me, my one goat really doesn't like it when there's kids around me. So she can be quite rude when <laughs> there's little people, right? So obviously always err on the side of caution when you're around animals with animal instincts. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We handle all our sows, like with their piglets right from birth. We, I mean, we farrowed, I think I farrowed, I farrowed out probably close to 70, 75 litters now. And I haven't had one aggressive sow yet towards people. Yeah, that's amazing. That's pretty good. Like that's, 
I'm content with that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I want to ask one question about your old property. Thinking back of when you moved there, talk about the pasture and the changes that you saw running these different breeds of animals on there and doing the rotational grazing. What are some of the good things that you saw? What are some of the challenges that you had? We had to do a lot of rotational grazing and probably not as much rest on some of the pastures as we'd like to do. But, you know, it was funny, like most of our cows would go, go to pasture. So it was just the pigs, you know, and you could rotate them. And because they didn't dig up and they didn't dig up the roots, we saw regenerative growth way faster. So, you know, it was healthier. I find, you know, like cows and horses, even being an avid horse breeder, I always like thought, you know, horses were the bomb. And then when we got the cattle, I'm like, you guys suck on pasture. Like you guys are hard. Like, you know, they do a lot more damage than even cattle do. So, you know, cattle, they graze and walk and a horse will just find that spot and they'll just graze it and graze it and graze it until it's almost dirt. So, you know, if, if you could rotate your animals and rested enough, it grew good. And now like we did soil tests and everything, but being here and able, like we've already had union forage out to kind of give us ideas what we should seed and kind of different things. So it's all a new, it's new to see what will grow. <laughs> I'm so excited for you and all of your new acreage. And I can't wait to hear all of the good things that you do there. And it's kind of exciting to be, to have the opportunity to kind of start. Well, you have to start with where you're at and what was on there before, but to see what you're able to build from there. Yeah. So we're, we're pretty excited. And the one thing like our other property, like we had a, like we had a little barn and when I first started, I never had an insulated barn or anything. We used sheds for farrowing. Like I, we insulated the sheds and turned it into like a little farrowing house and that's how I started. Like I never had barns or anything, or even, I didn't even have an insulated barn until last year when we finally decided to insulate it. So it's not like you need all this structure to do what you want. It's just making sure like pigs are, pigs are pretty relatively easy to keep as long as they're draft free, you know, shelters have no wind, lots of straw. The big thing that we struggle here, I would love to do pasture pharynx. And have a hot, but our temperatures are too cold at night. Newborn pigs require about 90 degrees the first few days, and our nights can get down to 10 degrees. So it really limits our ability. So, you know, we'll farrow in a stall, give them a couple weeks, get used to, you know, climatize, and then we'll start letting them outside. So, this way with these, you know, with the barns, we can, you know, do bigger groups together and let them out together and all that. Stuff. I'm just picturing in my mind, like the piglet stampede once you open those doors. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we're big into group fairings. Like I like to group, I like to farrow five or, you know, six females together. And then once those piglets are going strong, they know how to get away from mom laying down. We'll start combining them because we find that they're, they socialize better. They learn more manners being disciplined by other moms too they learn that they can't just go straight up to a mom's face and you know they're probably going to get a bite not doesn't hurt them but it teaches them to get out of the the mom's way so we find they're just a little bit more socially 
adapted. And I like to, if I do, you know, five or so females together, if I have one female that maybe has four or five piglets born and I have another female that has 12, I can always take a couple of those piglets and put them on that other mom. So I can, you know, kind of do a little bit more fostering. Yeah, that's so good. Oh, you are just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Cooney Cooney pigs. And I am so happy that I got to pick your brain about them. And now I'm even more convinced that I need some of these pigs. Wait till you try their meat. Right? (laughs) Yes. Well, the next time I'm up in your area, I know where I can go and find your meat. So I'm very, very excited for that. Kelly, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? I think the most rewarding, and this may sound different for other people, but there's a pride knowing that you've raised an animal from birth, like Pharaoh to finish, even our cows. We've raised that animal. We've been there right from the beginning with that animal to raise it. And it, we know it's had the best life possible. Like it's grazed, it's been happy. And then unfortunately there's one bad day but that's it. And I, I'm getting to a point now it's getting harder and harder to sell breeding stock because I know they have a good home here. I know they're well taken care of and you know, you, you hear deaths and that and stuff happens and it's hard. Like you're like, well, maybe I should, it's always like the one that you kind of thought that you should have kept too. Unfortunately, something always seems to happen or so, I mean, it's really that having that Pharaoh to finish, even, you know, I don't even know what they call cows. What would be cows called to finish? (laughs) Same same thing is we've raised them right from beginning and we see the benefit when we see that product and you're like, I raised that. I I produced that. My breeding genetics produced that. And that's, that's where I... I think is the best part. I think that's a pretty freaking cool part. And I completely agree with you. And it's really funny for me to say this now, like, you know, I am very much a hobby producer of meat, goats and all of these things. But the first time I ever sold an animal that I knew was going to it's no good, very bad day, I was a wreck. I was like, I shouldn't have done that. I should have kept this thing for a pet my entire life. But as I've gotten more used to it, I've taken that pride now where people are coming and taking these animals and I see the family that it's going to be feeding. And there's no way to explain that to anybody who has never done this. And, you know, I always, I love it when people say, well, I don't think I could have ever done that. And to me, I said the same thing. I didn't think I could ever do that, but it's that pride in what you're doing. And the result of it is nourishing humans, which again, I think is pretty freaking cool. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Kelly, for my listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? Our website is whisperingwindfarms.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Whispering Wind Farms. We have a Cooney Cooney page and a Grassfed Galloway page as well. If you just search, you should be able to find it. And then also on Instagram, Whispering Wind Farms, at Whispering Wind Farms. Great. I will link all of those in the show notes for you, as well as some of the other resources that you mentioned here in the show. So thank you again so much for sharing your story and telling us all about my new farm animal. (laughs) Well, you'll have to come down and see them because they're, they're, 
unfortunately, usually when I let the piglets out, it's pretty much sold. <laughs> well, as soon as we hit hang up, I'm probably going to give you my visa number. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're a great breed. Like they really are. It's I honestly, if somebody could say, do you have a complaint about them? I honestly can't. Like we're so fortunate that they're so easy to handle and work with that it makes the job pretty easy. That's for sure. So good. Well, thank you again so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story. Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Rural Woman podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either. But in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Rural Woman podcast studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast get ad-free episodes starting at Tier 5 on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon.